0: Chapters fourteen through eighteen of Philomene's Marriages by Henri Greville. Translated by Helen Stanley. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter fourteen An Ideal Wife. Now that you have someone with you, said Philomene to her cousin the next morning, a little before the hour for breakfast, I will come here no more except when you have need of me leaning over the hearth marie was making an omelet by the aid of a nice bright beech wood-fire that danced briskly around the stove she raised her fork in the air with which she was superintending the cooking looked at madame Crépin, and said to her in astonishment why because i don't wish to trouble you in your friendly relations the widow replied with the modesty which formed her most lovely appanage marie shrugged her shoulders and plunged her fork in the beaten eggs i don't see in what you could trouble us said she after a moment and i do not see either why you say such things you know very well it annoys me i do not wish to annoy you my dear answered madame crepin in a piqued tone it is just exactly in order not to annoy you that henceforth i shall stay at home come philomene said madame verroy leaving her post of trust why do you say such absurdities you get angry one knows not for what reason you take a fancy not to come here for eight days i do not ask you for what motive you come then every day during another week i am delighted at it you are as free as the air here what whim has made you feel the necessity of announcing to me your sedentary caprice if you wished to stop at home and not cause me annoyance you should have done so without speaking of it Philomene did not answer, but turned her back to the light, and there remained standing, motionless, like a child placed in punishment, during which time Marie deposited the omelette on the table. "'Where are our gentlemen?' said she, glancing around the room. She then perceived Madame Crépin's woeful countenance, and approached her. "'Well?' putting her hand on her shoulder. Philomene turned her head away and smothered a sob. "'Tears,' said Marie, more irritated at the bottom of her heart than she would have liked to avow, Come, Philomene, what is the matter? You treat me harshly, said the widow, swallowing her tears. I only love you in all the world. It is very painful to me to have my friendship and delicacy so strangely rewarded. Marie said to herself that Philomene chose her moments of effusion very inopportunely, for the omelette was growing cold with the rapidity peculiar to omelettes. Madame Verroy resolved to end the situation at once. Sit down there, great stupid. Said she, laying her two hands on her cousin's shoulders, which precipitated Madame Crepin in a chair. Sit up at the table, eat some omelette, and don't say any more absurdities. She repaired what there might have been too unceremonious in this speech by a kiss on both her cheeks and went out to call the two young men whom she found in the courtyard. I don't like eggs, said Philomene. They do not agree with me. You have said that to us before, cousin, said Charles, who, entering first, was alone welcomed by this confidence but don't worry there must be something else there was something else in effect and philomene did not seem to suffer from indigestion for in spite of her recent emotion she gave proof of a fine appetite masson who was placed opposite to her looked at her with a certain curiosity she had not an ordinary face certainly the expression of her physiognomy which was very changeful being sometimes sour sometimes quite open and expansive totally modified her features with a clear and very decided sweep so that frequently in an hour's time one would see before them not one philomene only but quite a collection of philomene well masson said charles when the omelet had disappeared what are they doing at paris walking on the boulevards during the day going into cafes, and in the evening going to the theatre replied masson with the beatified air of one who no longer accomplishes any of those duties whatever what are they playing at the theatres asked charles the three thousand of en pot and the four hundred ninety fifth of hurluberlus replied the actor crossing his arms always the same things always what do they do without you at your theatre they replace me in what i play i appear in the third act and i say to the figurant by heaven my lords you have done a sorry task then i pass my sword through Gadarot's body you know that little guerrero and i go home make myself a cup of tea and read your novels marie laughed philomene looked at her with a reproachful air she did not understand but it seemed to her there was nothing to laugh at in that then this gentleman who used thee and thou in speaking to charles played at a theatre philomene had never been in one and your mother asked charles she still curses me and still sends you money of course but what she sends me is nothing in comparison to what she spends in masses and tapers so as to make me return to the pale of the church and it does not succeed not at all what would you have me do once i return there eh you have still then the same artistic vocation asked marie i not the least in the world i never had any vocation only my mother and my late uncle the abbe wished to make me enter a seminary i was seventeen years old I had finished my studies. In order to be one with them, I entered the conservatoire. But I should never have thought of the conservatoire except for the seminary. That is curing opposites by opposites according to the rules, said Charles. You are a great doctor, masson. And you remain at the theatre all the same? asked Marie, smiling. What would you have me do? Where the goat is tied, it must browse, the young man replied philosophically some day i shall inherit ten thousand francs income that day i shall leave the boards as they say and go and raise cabbages never said charles you will never raise cabbages it is not in your nature that's possible well then i will install myself in a small house in the environs of paris i will not raise cabbages there i will marry i will be a good husband a good father and all that follows that is not in my horoscope said marie you will turn some heiress's head who will marry you by force and you will become a millionaire i am not conceited replied masson caressing his face with a complacent air i do not aspire to such high destiny they all laughed at the gesture not at the words philomene continued to stare at the young actor as she would have stared at the elephant at the jardin des plantes no continued masson i have another ideal i shall marry a young amiable girl not too clever but who will know a little about cooking she must bring me fifty thousand francs for i am not rich enough for two and then the little ones i wish her to be pretty ugly women are so horrid and provided she has a good disposition we will be very happy Aria mediocritas said charles exactly how old are you thirty-five in a week that is a lovely age said charles i was thirty-five two years ago so i now find thirty-seven a still lovelier age masson and madame berroy laughed philomene who was still serious looked at them and asked herself from what menagerie all these persons whom until now she had deemed sensible persons had come what an odd thing the ideal is said charles i remember when i was twenty i dreamed of finding a blonde with black eyes small and coquettish with the graces of a child i carried that ideal about for some years in every corner of france and then one fine evening i met marie a brunette tall and innocent as a girl who has never looked a man in the face i fell in love and and you know the rest the moral of which story said massot in a didactic tone is that one must not have an ideal on the contrary marie said eagerly one must have one and change it one has thus the pleasure of comparison our friends laughed heartily philomene smiled vaguely and you madame asked masson politely what is your opinion oh i monsieur answered the widow with ease i have no opinion a poor ignorant peasant like myself should listen to others and keep silence voila thought charles now a chill will fall a chill did fall upon them in effect and the repast ended less gaily than it had begun chapter fifteen gratuitous advice when they had left the table to go into the little garden that was invaded with grass full of shadow and of sunshine sifting through the branches masson approached madame verroy perhaps i hurt your cousin said he with the kindness natural to his character suppose i try to repair my foolishness But tell me how I could have hurt her, for I do not know at all, I assure you. Philomene is whimsical, Marie answered him. She has had great sorrows. She has borne them in a worthy manner. We do not get angry with her about her small caprices. After so much trouble, it is natural she should be a little soured. In a few words, Madame Verroy made Masson acquainted with the events of Madame Crépin's life, and the good fellow began to pity her with all his heart does she love you he asked marie she seems very devoted to you she gives us proofs of her friendship all the time the young woman answered i think our advent has been of great benefit to her by withdrawing her from the gloom in which she was plunged if she loves you said masson i will love her too for charles and yourself are the best people in the world vive cousin philomene marie left him and philomene immediately approached her cousin Have you talked about me? said she to her. What did he say to you? Without minding the incongruity of this question, Marie related in a few words the preceding conversation. He has an excellent heart, she added in speaking of Masson. You love us, and he loves us. I believe you will soon be very great friends. Philomene pressed her cousin's hand. How kind you are, said she with effusion. After a short silence she continued. What an odd woman that Madame Aubier is! She does not stand on much ceremony to have sent you her great stupid of a goddaughter like that. Virginie? Why, we find her delightful in every way. On the contrary, it was a very gracious attention on the old lady's part. The strawberries were a hundred times better brought by that pretty girl. Pretty? answered Philomene vivaciously. Do you find her pretty? extremely pretty with her great soft eyes and her modest smile a large round face that expresses nothing said the widow with bitterness a great mouth and eyes like an owl's heavens how can one find anything attractive in virginie and then she is so stupid are you going to encumber yourself with that girl she did not seem stupid to me answered marie in a graver voice than usual she seemed to us to possess a happy nature and a good character she says everything she thinks madame Crépin exclaimed inconsiderately well perhaps that is a merit replied madame verroy rather curtly then fearing to have offended her cousin she added with sweetness i have remarked philomene that you have very unreasonable antipathies you make monsters to yourself of things and people often without the least motive i understand that the trials of your life have made you distrustful But that is no reason why we, who have no cause for being suspicious, should espouse your antipathies without examining them. Virginie is an honest girl. You have said nothing but what was good of her before. You were pleased that we should receive her in the intimacy that our country life authorizes. You are quite free to receive whom you wish, my dear, answered Philomene immediately with great sincerity in her voice and look. Certainly, those people are honest persons, and there is nothing to say against them only i had imagined that people like yourselves must know what beauty and cleverness are and i never should have dreamed you could have found either one or the other in virginie that is all if i had been told so i would have sworn to the contrary well my good friend you would have been mistaken and that proves once again that one must swear to nothing philomene smiled half honey-like and half like vinegar and then spoke no more of retiring to her tent chapter sixteen a trump card cousin said philomene the following sunday afternoon whilst masson was struggling over a water-colour sketch of la and verroy was watching him and criticising all he did with the free and easy manner of those who ignore everything about art well replied the young man without moving masson you are making your tree too green it is green however the deuce i cannot make it red replied the actor looking for colours on his porcelain palette no not red but it is not necessary to make it emerald green that is true i will find another shade cousin pray excuse me said charles turning round i am at your disposition philomene who had awaited patiently at the end of the preceding dialogue sat down on a stone step opposite to verroy and began her attack cousin do you understand business said she in a high clear voice that depends cousin on what you call business verroy wisely replied money affairs cousin affairs that do not go on well by themselves money affairs cousin go on well rarely by themselves however i think i understand you and i will answer that i have had in former times some contests with publishers editors of newspapers and even with a landlord a short time ago who wished to make me pay six thousand francs for reparations in an apartment costing two thousand francs a year that i had taken in a bad condition and inhabited six months a thousand francs a month for repairs but i paid him nothing whatever and i learned in that affair a certain knowledge of business of some kind of business that is what i require cousin Philomène replied graciously she was determined not to allow herself to be nonplussed i have some debtors at paris who will not pay me what shall i do to obtain my money charles meditated for an instant and with his finger pointed out to masson on his paper a portion of a wall that was falling into the brook in an alarming manner the young man made a sign with his head took a plumber's line made a gesture of thanks to his friend with his left hand and applied himself to re-establishing the equilibrium of his architecture are your debtors tradespeople charles asked philomene yes cousin she told no falsehood her only debtor was a tradesman and his debt was insignificant apply to the tribunal of commerce at paris apparently philomene sighed a poor widow is much to be pitied said she if one entrusts lawyers notaries and others to settle difficulties they manage together so well that the sum is eaten up before the affair is ended it is the common fate said charles if i were rich continued the widow i would let those credits go they will certainly give me more trouble than they are worth but i am not rich and i cannot let them be lost masson growing impatient at the confidential tone the conversation was taking hummed in a low voice the words of the cantonier, Ça prouve que les malheureux, s'ils sont malheureux, eh ben, c'est malgré eux. Philomene continued immovably, You see, cousin, I sold a while ago the house and the cattle on the farm I inherited from my father, the new farmer bringing all the material for cultivation. I received half of the money, and I am to receive on St. Michael's Day two thousand two hundred francs. Masson, who was surprised, turned round suddenly he had thought with her more than plain clothes her peasant's manners her hard hands and her ugly little linen caps that philomene was a poor relation to whom the Verroys offered hospitality in order to lighten her expenses but a farm that was worth nearly five thousand francs implied a large farm was madame Crépin rich what did her complaints then mean that will go to pay for the liquidation of what i inherited from my husband continued the impassable widow although her cat-like eyes had clearly understood masson's gesture but i need a few hundred francs more and the money owing me at paris would have furnished them very timely if the people would only pay me charles who was much bored had a great desire to go away but as such impoliteness would have been too flagrant he contented himself with rising and taking two steps towards the water-colour drawing land do you see cousin continued madame Crépin. "'Is all very fine on paper, it is easy to say. "'I have 60,000 francs in good land.' "'Have you as much as 60,000 francs worth?' asked Charles, seized with a huge desire to tease Philomene. "'Yes, cousin, but if I wish to sell it, I should not get the half of it. "'You know that land, when one wants to buy it, is worth a great deal. "'But when one wishes to sell, it is worth nothing at all. "'And then it brings in hardly three per cent, and from farms still less.' ah i have a great deal of trouble to make both ends meet so that i absolutely need to have my credits paid can you not undertake my procuration for me cousin ah no exclaimed charles with all the energy of a restrained feeling that gains utterance no indeed you must not be angry with me cousin but i would be too much afraid of spoiling your affairs by putting my hands in them then i shall have to go to paris groaned that seems to me the most sensible thing to do madame Crépin remained thoughtful for a moment living is so dear in hotels said she i wonder if i would not do better to give it all up i thought marie had asked you to come to us said verroy decidedly in a bad humour how kind you are cousin exclaimed philomene i shall never forget all you have done for me but added she i do not know whether i can decide to take that voyage i dislike paris so much that i never wished even to pass through it once i had to join my husband at bordeaux well i went through the centre of france solely from horror of paris what has paris done to you asked masson desirous of changing the conversation it has done nothing to me monsieur i dislike it that is all cousin philomene has some justifiable aversions said charles smiling a little very little philomene looked at him she had not understood but she smiled also i do not know whether i can overcome my repugnance i will think about it meanwhile i thank you for your kind invitation i should never have been bold enough to have asked you what you offer me pass ball thought masson the trick is over she is very clever all the same but continued Philomene, if I can be of service to you in anything whatever, pray make use of me. Thanks, cousin, said Charles, and he added in petto, I had to thank her as usual, or else we would never have had done with it. Chapter 17 Fate Grants Us What We Deserve. Is your cousin rich then? asked Masson, when the evening having come, Philomene had left La Heuserie. I thought her as poor as Job she is the owner of this house my dear fellow and of many other things besides i believe her to be much richer than she wishes to acknowledge and what seems clearly proved to me is that she is extraordinarily avaricious it is an excusable whim said the young man if excepting avariciousness she is good and devoted as you will not suffer from that defect you can easily pass it over how old is she about forty only as much as that i would have given her five or six years more that woman is no longer of any age she thinks however of marrying again said charles maliciously who kept a grudge against her oh charles exclaimed marie you know very well that she denies it all she can yes my dear but i begin to know her the conversation of a little while ago made a bushel of scales fall from my eyes she denies precisely what she is determined to do she will marry lavenel unless she finds something better i hope added masson she will invite us all to the wedding don't count on that they will be secret nuptials without any wedding invitations the witnesses alone will be admitted and moreover they will make them swear never to reveal the bride's age for better precaution there will be cotton balls prepared and every one will be obliged to put them in his ears and by the way masson, could a marriage be declared null should the four witnesses to it be attacked with despairing and confirmed deafness i know not my friend perhaps there is material in that idea out of which to make a drama for the ambigu or of vaudeville for the palais Royal. masson took a cigar from his pocket lit it and remained thoughtful for a moment are you thinking of the palais royal his friend asked him no i was thinking of mademoiselle virginie it is virginie you call that pretty girl she must have a pall. i do not know i believe not have you heard marie of a pall whatsoever spoken of for virginie no she is difficult to marry can you imagine an alliance between that amiable child and a coarse man who drinks and swears it makes me shiver said charles in a calm tone are there no other persons in this country except people of that stamp but my friend it is considered a merit a landowner would be laughed at who did not know how to swear properly and drink a great deal of brandy in his coffee it would be a murder exclaimed masson warmly virginie deserves another fate and she will have it first because one always has the fate one merits do you believe that firmly and the women who are cut in pieces have they also the fate they merit the women who are cut in pieces masson repeated slowly while seeking an argument that depends among the quantity there have certainly been some who deserved it women who have exasperated their husbands for instance and then no i think those are about all then there were some who did not deserve it it must have happened so well then what do you do with your theory what one does with all theories my friend they are put aside when one has no longer any need of them replied masson knocking off the ashes from his cigar theories have no other utility chapter 18 anxiety the sun had disappeared behind the valley and the moon displayed in the heavens that delicate form of its slender crescent a penetrating coolness had succeeded the heat of the july day and the twilight was gliding softly under the trees invading first the corners that became of a deep and velvety blackness then the cavities in the stones the underside of the cornices the trunks of the beech trees the bed of the green and mossy stream and the open windows that seemed bottomless abysses the fading light still floated on the house roof in the clumps of verdure that appeared gilded with a reflection of the sun on the grey facade that looked white and where the groups of lichens made larger spots whiter still indeed almost radiant in the half-light your lichens are superb said masson regarding the rich clothing that ornamented the poverty of the stones would you believe that philomene wished to have them scraped off answered charles in an indignant tone she declares they eat away her house what does that matter the young man said phlegmatically provided it is pretty but my dear fellow it is a calumny lichens never eat away anything they take nothing from stones or trees and just see all they add in colour and richness i nearly said something rude to the lichens to philomene there is one who has not poetical feeling can you imagine now workmen scraping the stones and cleaning the stream it would be like renovating our poor obelisk of luxor again that was one of the sorrows of my life it seemed to me when i saw it clean that it was quite naked and that it felt ashamed you love stones too much answered masson it will be the ruin of you why because you will build and that is the death of a man build no but i should have liked much to have bought this little house what prevents you Philomène does not wish to sell it well my friend do without it resignation to the evils we cannot prevent is one of the principal virtues of humanity charles who was a little disturbed by the souvenir of his griefs against madame crepin was walking up and down the courtyard suddenly he stopped the gate opened and in the increasing shadow he saw two women coming toward him whom he at first did not recognize good evening gentlemen said madame aubier's voice we arrive late do we not dear madame is it you said marie running towards her you are welcome here they entered the house a lamp was brought in and they all saw that the old lady looked very fatigued virginie who was almost as pale as her grandmother watched her with eyes full of tenderness and anxiety but why so late so far away asked marie i went out this afternoon said madame aubier speaking with difficulty so as to take virginie a walk who has not many distractions my husband was dining at the preceptor's we were alone we came this way with the intention of surprising you i have not been a good walker for a long time near here at the beginning of the road i was taken with a fit of asthma it has not happened to me for many years i thought i was going to die Marie hurried away and returned bringing something calming, which they made the old lady take at once. You should have come here for help since you were not far off, said Charles to the young girl. My godmother did not wish it, she was afraid of dying while I should be away, and to tell you the truth, I preferred not to leave her, replied Virginie, growing pale again at the memory of that moment of anguish. Madame Aubier had recovered her strength a little. She was very much frightened, the poor little one, said she. And I also, to speak frankly. But more for her than for myself. What would she have done all alone? The old woman trembled, and Virginie, in a moment of impulse, forgetting the presence of strangers, threw herself on her knees, her head buried in Madame Aubier's bosom, and let her tears overflow that were stifling her. Her godmother placed her hand on her hair. "'Poor child, poor child,' said she, several times caressing her tenderly she has no one to love her but myself her father has no thought for her and she is very much attached to me marie approached the young girl took her by the wrist raised her and said to her in her ear you will do your godmother harm immediately with a violent effort that brought back the blood to her pallid cheeks virginie raised her head dried her tears and sat down by madame aubier's side whose hand she held in hers but her grateful look sought out marie with the sweetness of a caress this is not all said the old lady i must return home i have come to ask you to accompany me there Monsieur verroy for i am afraid of being taken ill again on the way and it must not occur twice with virginie quite alone we will all go with you replied marie we will take lanterns and wrap you up well madame aubier all repeated the old woman looking at masson who overcome with a sudden interest in these simple people and about these very ordinary events regarded it all with the eyes of a man who would much like to be useful and does not know what to do oh madame certainly we will not be too many to escort you marie brought charles and two lanterns and madame aubier leaning on verroy's arm left the house slowly virginie wished to support her on the other side but marie put her away gently you are tired said she to her it is my turn masson offer your arm to mademoiselle buron masson rounded his elbow but the young girl refused it politely i have never taken a man's arm said she to him i would not know how to do it and it would annoy me in walking the young actor said to himself that one rarely meets a young girl who has never accepted any one's arm and this reflection inspired him with a fresh respect for virginie they walked side by side in the narrow path a little behind the others and masson felt his heart full of pity and warm sympathy for the poor little one who had only her godmother to love her an indifferent father that is sometimes seen and to have a selfish stepmother often occurs but to possess neither brothers sisters nor near relations nothing but the affection of an old woman whom death might carry off from one moment to another he drew nearer to virginie you are going to remain with madame aubier are you not he said to her without any preamble i was to have returned to my father's house in two weeks she answered quite as simply but since godmother is ill i can easily obtain permission to remain longer masson felt himself wonderfully happy at this prospect to which he probably would have been indifferent the day before and then you will come to see us said he gaily if godmother is ill i cannot leave her virginie answered masson's joy vanished suddenly and he became serious the pace of those preceding them grew slower and slower madame aubier's strength began to fail happily they were approaching Dielette. they walked a hundred yards more and just as they were coming out on the square marie called masson take my place said she in a low voice quickly hardly did the young man have time to put his arm around the old lady before she lost consciousness a moment of confusion followed the door opened, however, and borne by the two men, Madame Aubier was placed on her bed. They sent for her husband and an old retired physician who practised no longer except for his pleasure and the welfare of the inhabitants of the village. And after a certain time that seemed long to everyone, the excellent woman opened her eyes. It will be nothing, said the physician. It is a syncope caused by the fatigue of the preceding attack and then the walk. The deuce, Madame Aubier you have not your fifteen-year-old legs any longer you should not run about like that if it were a gallant you were going to meet you should have told me i am nice enough yet he laughed and stroked his chin but as soon as he had passed the threshold he assumed an anxious look and drew madame verroy aside i have not the honour of knowing you other than by name madame said he to her but you seem to me to be the most sensible person there is here one cannot count on old aubier first because he has just been dragged away from his dominoes and he hasn't his wits about him yet and then even in his normal state he is not extremely lucid virginie is a child can you pass the night here certainly marie answered is there any danger there is always danger when a person is liable to smother from one minute to another but with careful watching there will be much less will you remain Yes, doctor, I will stay. Send away your gentlemen. We have no need of them. There are always too many men in a house where there are sick people. Men, you see, are only useful in hospitals because women have taught them how to nurse. Verroy and Masson, finding they were to be sent off to La Housserie, declared they would not go so far. They procured two beds at an inn and promised to appear at the slightest call. End of chapters fourteen through eighteen.